Every good and perfect gift comes from you. You have no, never change, no turning, no blessing. into this new series of going from creation through the covenants uh, up to the prophecies about Jesus and the prophecies that he fulfilled leading up to Advent and Christmas as we get into the life of Christ and understanding who he is as the Messiah. So last week, if you remembered, some of you were here, uh, most of you were here, that as we talked some about uh, the beginning of creation, that when God created, we see in that text, we see first and foremost who God is. What kind of God that we serve? But we also got an idea of who we are, our identity, created in God's image, and what that means for us, especially in terms of our vocation, what God had put us here to do, to cultivate his creation and his kingdom. Now, 
I don't know if you remember this small detail that I talked about last week, but at the end of almost every day that God had created, the text reminds us, or God reminds that He saw that it was good. Saw that it was good. Saw that it was good. And then on the sixth day, after He had created us, humanity, in His image, and given us this great job, this great task of cultivating His creation, God saw that it was very good. Tov me'od. It was so good. And I, I don't know if anybody thought or was thinking about that particular part of this, about how amazing creation was in the beginning. How amazing God created it. And then you woke up Monday morning and you had to go back to your job or you had to get back into the things that, uh, things that are happening in your life, struggles or things that we have. I don't know, did anybody think about this week as you were working through Genesis or going over the sermon in your mind? Did anybody think of your mind, in your mind, it was so good and it is so broken now, what happened? Did anybody think like that or anybody had that thought cross their mind? As we talk about how good it was in the beginning and then we get into our lives and we have things like friends who are in the hospital. We have parents who are dying. We have kids who are struggling with decisions they're making in their lives. Marriages that are, that are in trouble. And we start thinking, God, what happened? Lord, how did we get here? It was so good. How did we get here? This was made so clear for me last night. I was working over the last bits, finalizing my sermon. It was 11.30 when Dave Johnson called me and said, Morley's in the hospital. And I just thought, like, how ironic. How fitting, in one sense. Here we are. I'm getting ready to come to you this morning and talk with you about how good it was and how broken it is now. And I'm off on my way to the hospital in the middle of the night to go see Morley. And to see him, with the wires connected to him and the oxygen thing through his nose, to be reminded in this stark way that this world is broken, that it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And we start wondering, we start asking this question, how do we get here? What happened? That's why I'm so grateful for the Word of God. So grateful for the text that God has given us, these scriptures that reveal who He is and what He has done and what He's doing in our lives. And it's, it's amazing to me, and not maybe so much in like I'm surprised, but more in how, how comforting, how encouraging that it is, that especially like the book of Genesis, the, the book that talks about the earliest moments of God's people, yet it still speaks to us thousands of years later. It's still immediately relevant in our lives today. I say this to encourage you, how God's Word continues to speak to us. So let's, let's get into this. Let's get into what's happening. And as I mentioned earlier, I mentioned that, that things were good. They were very good. That it was amazing. That creation was lush and filled with life. It was like heaven on earth. Did you know that the word Eden in Hebrew actually means luxury? Luxurious. Filled. God planted his garden. In the text it says, God planted his garden in this luxurious place. And now, now we maybe think of luxury, we think of big fluffy pillows and all sorts of you know, amenities. But in the first, and, and for the people of God, when they looked at it, they thought in terms of a garden. And a garden, a place where there was already fruit that was already cultivated, that was abundant with food. 
There was no farming in this garden. There was cultivating, but they didn't plow the fields. They didn't have to plant seeds. They didn't have to to harvest crops and break up the soil again to do it again next year. The fruit was just there. God said, take from any tree and eat the food. There was no farming. There was just food. Every day was like Thanksgiving. Every day was filled. People were with God and they, had, they could just take food. It was, life was easy and good. And God, it was amazing how it worked. There was no need to, to toil and to work. And in fact, God said, you know what? You can eat from any tree in this garden. And we'll talk some why that's significant. But he says, eat from any tree in this garden except for one. Don't eat from that tree. But actually, they were able to eat from another specific tree in the garden. This tree that was also at the center called the tree of life. They were able to eat from that tree. And there was no death, no sickness. There was no pain and suffering. Not only that, were they able to eat at this tree, but also, the interesting thing is that they were naked. And they were fine with that. They were confident. And they were, maybe didn't even think about that fact that they were naked. Their relationship with God and with each other was so good that they didn't even cross their mind. There was no vulnerability. They weren't even aware of their vulnerability. And they had amazing work to do. There was good work for them for the, to do. Fruitful work. Meaningful work. When I talk or I start thinking about the garden and what it was like, I, 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 get, I think we get the, the clearest image or one of the clearest images we have of the word shalom, of God's peace, the fullness of God's peace. See, we often think of peace as the end of war, and that's about it. But in God's world, shalom or God's peace, it, it had this, this element of abundance, like Eden, like God's presence with them. Everything was filled to its fullest. Not just, not just their bellies, but their presence, their relationship with God was as full as it could be. It was amazing and good. It's surprising how good it is. And so we see how amazing it was, but also the fact that God was present with his people. I don't know if you remember this particular part. We don't have time to look into it this morning. But he just says that during the cool of the day, God was walking in the garden. God was present. God was on earth in his creation with his people. I want to tell you, this is the essence of heaven. This is what heaven is like. The place where God is. Us in his presence. Now, I know maybe that's different than some of the unbiblical ideas we have of heaven. The ideas of sitting on clouds with harps, eating our favorite pizza for all of eternity. That's not really a biblical idea of heaven. The biblical idea of heaven is God's presence with us. Us being in His presence. Worshiping Him. Praising Him. That God-shaped hole that you maybe have heard people talk about, filled to its fullest. This is the biblical idea of heaven. And it's even beyond words. It's even difficult to even, even those words don't do it justice. 
It was interesting. I was talking, I mean, some of you know, I'm taking Hebrew lessons um, from one of our neighbors down here, Julie. And I was talking with her about heaven. And, and you know, I was asking, you know, so when, you, when we die, we say we're going to heaven. In, in Hebrew, you say you're going to Shemaiah. And she goes, no, actually, we say we're going to Gan Eden. We're going to the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden was heaven on earth. Not just because of how great and wonderful and luxurious it was. It was because God was there with his people. God was right there and they had an amazing relationship with him. They were not afraid of him. They didn't hide. They could speak with God and, and, and talk with him. It was amazing the relationship that we had with God in the garden. It was lush. It was heaven on earth. It was amazing. Beyond words. But then, everything went upside down and horribly wrong. Everything, all of it, broken, shattered. People, we, we, it was amazing to me. I think about what they did. I think about everything that they had. And it all went wrong. If you would, look in your bulletins. There's this, there's the white sheet of paper in there. I have just a few sections from, from Genesis chapter 3. It wouldn't all fit on one page. But if you would look with me on, at verse 6, there it said, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then their eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It was amazing, and it went wrong. And the point that, that I see is that they saw the food it says that Eve saw it and it was desirable. It was pleasing to the eye and it was good for food. God had told them. Actually, he told Adam specifically. And we can only guess that he maybe told Eve again or maybe Adam told her. But don't eat from this one tree. That was the one prohibition in the garden. There's a few other commandments like uh, cultivate the garden, rule and subdue, uh, be fruitful and multiply. This is the one thing, this is the one place where God says, Ed, here's the one thing I don't want you to do. The one prohibition. And seeing that it was good in their own eyes, they defied God. God had told them how to live. And yet, thinking that it was good in their own eyes, they defied Him. And we see this still happening today. We see it still as the root of... of we see this uh, happening in the world around us where we see people who think things are good, but we don't understand. And we defy God. Anne Lamott has this image of us like little kids with a child's play set, a child's chemistry set, brewing up batches of TNT on the kitchen floor. Sometimes I feel like that's what we're like as people. Naive and reckless. Playing with things that will destroy us. We see it in our world. That nuclear energy, for example. 
the ability to power cities or wipe them from the face of the earth. The ability that, that we have, that God has worked through us and grown in us with medicine to save thousands of people with a vaccination or a vaccine or to kill thousands of people with biological weapons. The things that we think are good and how we abuse them. We live in a time now where we are so far from the fall, from, from that, that garden of God, that we do things, that we see evil and we call it good, or we see good and we call it old-fashioned or naive. I wanted to read you this, this quote that, does anybody remember the movie, sorry, from 1987 called Wall Street? Has anybody seen that show? I was pretty young when I watched it. I remember watching it with my friends when I was older, uh, when I was uh, in business. And Gordon Gecko is this horrible villain <laughs> in this show. And he has this quote, so feel free to boo and hiss when, when it's appropriate, okay? We turn good into evil in our eyes. Listen to what he says. He's at a shareholders meeting. He says, greed, for the lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, for knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind and greed. You mark my words will not only save Teldar Peep, the company he's working for, but also the other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. And everybody starts applauding as he finishes the speech. We live in a culture where we call evil good. And we call good naive. To the point where, in a movie, I know it's just a movie, but it captures the essence of so much of the culture around us, where people would say, greed is good. Greed works. I was thinking about this Maybe it's a little too stark, but in some ways, this is the gospel of the culture around us. But in God's economy, sin is not based on what we think is good or bad, what we do, but on what God says, on His desire for our lives, His will for our lives. I think sometimes we have... And this begins when Adam and Eve, when she saw the food was good and they took it and ate it, began this departure from God's ethics and, and human ethics. And we begin to see things happening in human ethics and how this, this road just keeps going down and down. As we start saying, you know, maybe it's okay so long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And it gets worse to, maybe it's okay so long as it doesn't hurt anybody I know. Think about how broken things are, how far we've gotten from God's ideal, from God's desire for our lives. Think about areas like sexuality. In the garden, God gave us this amazing gift of sexuality as people. Nobody fall out of your chair. I know we're talking about sex in church. But, but God gave us an idea of sexuality or gave us this sexuality that was good and a good place in, in marriages. And look how broken it is in our society. People saying it's okay as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. 
families that are broken. Children with multiple fathers and mothers. Kids on uh, child pornography. Sexual abuse. Marriages that break apart. We see the ramifications of it, but it all began because people were saying things like, well, it's, it's okay, it's not hurting anybody. And look how far we've gotten from God's ideal for something as, as central to who we are as sexuality. When I mean, you think about, I think about politics or ethics, any of these things, how far we've gotten from God's ideal, from the way he intended it in the garden. Things have gone horribly wrong. Creation is shattered and broken. Creation is cracked. Fractured. Things don't work the way they're supposed to. As we were praying this morning, I hear people praying for their mom, for friends in hospital, for the Lossards. I am reminded again and again, things don't work the way they're supposed to here. It wasn't like this in the beginning. In the beginning, it was good and amazing. And it is broken now. We feel the brokenness. And it's hard to even understand the depth and the breadth of the brokenness. I mean, we, our relationship with creation is broken. We're supposed to rule and subdue and cultivate God's creation. And now because of, because of our sin, because of our sinfulness, it's broken. It's interesting, in, in the Hebrew, Adam, Adam is his name, but it's also the name for, for people or humanity. And there's this play on words that Adam and Adamah, Adamah is earth, that Adam, the earthling, came from the earth. And there's this play on words as, as Adam, as God speaks with him, it's actually the earth that is cursed. And he says, by the toil and sweat of your brow, you'll produce food. No more of just walking through the garden and picking fruit. Now, by sweat and toil, you're going to produce food. You came from the dust, and to the dust you're going to return. Death is introduced into us. Things are broken. They don't work the way they're supposed to. God gave this original vocation to people. He said, rule and subdue the earth. Take care of it and cultivate it. And now, eventually, the earth subdues us as we are returned to the ground. Things are broken between us and creation. We see it around us even today. Ways that we have abused the creation that God has given us, called us to be stewards of. But that's not all. Not just our relationship with creation, but also our relationship with each other is broken. There's this other interesting word in Hebrew. It's, it's arum, which you don't have to worry about, but just that it's the same root is used for wisdom and for nakedness. It's ironic that the people were naked. They were nude. And yet it was the snake who was shrewd, who was clever. And in their desire to be clever, they didn't become more powerful. They actually began to realize how vulnerable they were, how vulnerable we are. And so they took fig leaves to cover themselves, to put a barrier between them and each other, between husband and wife. 
because they felt their vulnerability. They felt naked and ashamed. Things were broken between people. I mean, we see it between us and our neighbors, even people in our church. Sometimes the relationships are strained. Even we feel it in marriages or relationships. Who here can testify to how difficult it is or how difficult it can be at times to relate to a person of the opposite sex? To relate to your spouse? It wasn't supposed to be like this. There's this amazing example of it. If you look in the text again, quote that sheet. If you look at verse 8, he said, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now get this. The man said, The woman you put with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And we see this chasm that opens up between husband and wife, between men and women, between people in general. See, in in Genesis, I mean, if you just go just with the text, Adam was the one. Actually, God told Adam about not eating from the tree. He was the one who knew. At the very least, he knew. And in the text... It said uh, that Eve, when she took the fruit, she didn't take a bite and then say, oh, I've got to go find Adam. And she ran all over the garden to find him. She turned and handed it to him, and he ate. And, I, and there's no part in there where it says, where Adam says, Eve, what are you doing? Don't eat that. We're not supposed to eat that. God has given us something better. I don't see that part in the text. When she hands it to him, he doesn't say, we can't do this. This is not what God has given us to do. No. Not a word. He just ate it. And so when God comes, find, or comes looking for him, he makes it first God's fault, then Eve's fault. The woman that you gave to me, that woman that you gave to me, she did God's two closest friends, or sorry, Adam's two closest friends, his two closest relationships, his wife and his God, pushed away. Your fault. And the chasm begins to open up. So there's this crack that forms between us and creation, between us and each other. But there's also this crack that opens up between us and God. Look at the sheet. This one last time. At verse 8 it said, I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry, it's verse 10. So God says, where are you? And he answered, Lord, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid I was naked. So I hid. The first time that they'd ever hidden from God. Which when you think about God and who he is and what he knows, sort of ridiculous, but they hid from God. 
And I would say that as humanity, we have been hiding from God ever since. We continue to hide from God. Well, they talk through it about the curses and God curses the earth and God curses the serpent. And he tells Adam that curses the ground because of you. Through pain and toil, you'll eat of it all the day of your life. Then in verse 21, he says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Before, in the garden, we had access to the tree of life. We were in God's presence, and our relationship with him was amazing and good. And then because of the result of our defiance, our rebellion as humanity, Adam and Eve, representatives of us, all of us, we were cast out of the garden, separated from God, Not only that, he put a cherubim with a flaming sword to keep us from coming back. There's this chasm that opens up between us and God. This wall that forms between us. Because God is holy. And because of our sinfulness, and I know you know what I'm talking about, that thing that you wrestle with, the thing that I wrestle with, those things we don't like to talk about, like selfishness and greed, the lust for power, mistreating others, anger, those things that we wrestle with, those things God, He doesn't have them around Him. Those are the things that can't exist in the presence of a holy God. And so this chasm opens up between us and God. Creation is correct. How are you guys doing? <laughs> this is a hard one today. Does anybody here starting to get what a big deal this is? Are you guys starting to see the significance of what happened in creation? So what happened when Adam and Eve, when humanity defied God and sin was brought into this world? Are you beginning to see how important this is? How significant this is? But I have good news for you today. I have great news for you today. That's not the end of the story. It's not the end. That's not where it stops us walking out of the garden forever separated from God. There is good news. Good news is that God, the Father, has sent God, the Son, Jesus, the Messiah, who has come He lived among us and taught. He died and then He rose again. He ascended to God's right hand and He has promised to return again. This is the good news. The good news that God's kingdom has come, that He is in the process of making things right and good. The kingdom has entered our story. Human history. And God has reconciled us to Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. Sin and brokenness, that is not the final word for us. That is not the final word for you. 
Jesus has reconciled us. He has made things right. He has broken through the wall. He has opened the gates back again to the garden or to the new Jerusalem as it talks about in Revelation. Jesus is in the business of restoring us, saving us from our sin, giving us hope in the reality that when we die, life is not over. It actually begins in its fullest sense. But there's more to the gospel. As amazing as that is, the fact we've been made right with God and we have hope that one day we will be with Him for eternity, as good as that is, there is more. Jesus has brought His kingdom, changing the way this world works, restoring creation, making things right again. He talked about it when He first preached in Nazareth. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And He began preaching good news to the poor. He began uh, proclaiming release to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Setting free the oppressed. Binding up the brokenhearted. Proclaiming the sovereign year of the Lord. The kingdom has come. And it has implications for us, whole people. Body, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Every part of us is caught up in this new kingdom. And we desire to see this kingdom not only here, but in our community. We desire to see our friends and our neighbors here with us, worshiping God, trusting their lives into Jesus. The kingdom has come. And we see glimpses of it here and there. But it has not fully come yet. We're still waiting for more. Listen to these words. This comes from the 22nd chapter of Revelation. Listen for some of the things that we've been talking about this morning. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the land, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And these leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The story is not over. God has come. The Messiah has come. He has broken His kingdom into our history. And He is restoring things. And one day, He will come and everything will be made right and good. Now, I know that this has been a lot. We've been talking about Genesis and Revelation. All these things of what's happened in the, in the, in the fall when we rebelled against God. And maybe some of you wonder, okay, Jason, what does this mean for me this week? Well, hopefully it means lots of things for you. But if you're looking for one thing to hold on to, one thing, okay, Jason, what can I do this week? I want to encourage you. Do one thing this week is thank God. 
pray and give him thanks and see where that takes you. Do it daily. Do it hourly, moment by moment if you want to. You, won't, you can't overthink God. But give thanks and see where that takes you. I get excited when I think about this for us. When we, as the people of God, continue giving Him thanks, when we live out of gratitude, when we are grateful for what He's done, it is almost impossible to take God for granted. I say it's even almost impossible not to rejoice. And God begins changing our lives. So I'm encouraging you this week, this one thing, if that leads to other things, great, but one thing this week, thank God. Give Him thanks. Amen. So I'm interested to hear from you. Does anybody have any questions or thoughts about this? Things that you hear the Spirit saying to you? There is this chasm that opens up between us as people and as sinister, as diabolical as it is, even between us and our closest friend, our wife or our husband. This chasm opens up. Even in great marriages, there's still this chasm. There's still these fig leaves that we put on to protect ourselves. Yeah, that's a great, that's great to know, right? And the fact that like he, it took him sending his son, God the Son, to come and make things right. Yeah. And. Yvonne, yeah.
that's um, in Hebrew, the word for Lord is Elohim. And as I was studying it, that some people think that maybe it's Elohim, like in the, they would use plural to show honor. So, but it's probably unlikely in this place. Some people think, and I think from a Christian point of view, I think this is the Bible one that he's talking about Father, Son, and Spirit, like us. Other theologians, too, have said God may have been speaking about him and the heavenly court, the angels who were also there. So that sense, us. Um, yeah. Right. And the, the, the point there is like, you know, sometimes we can think, well, that was really mean of God to, to cut us off from the tree of life. I mean, it's just one little thing. Hopefully this morning you're getting the, the, the ramifications, the weight of our defiance of God, of humanity's defiance of God, and what that did, how drastically that changed our relationship with God. And I see it in some ways as God's extreme mercy, that we don't live forever racking up the things that we've done. You know what I'm talking about, those things in your life, those things you wish you could forget and get past. So I think in some ways, like it seems harsh, but I also see the grace side of it. Andrew, you were going to say something? Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking, <laughs> well, God couldn't have really helped us through to understand uh, how we shouldn't be. <laughs> you know, just to break it down so that we can fight it and not do this and have such a drastic um, thing happen. And then it was just kind of flashed back to me about what disobedience <laughs> with yeah. the apple. Right. Oh, I mean, you think about, like, of all the things that they had, how, like, as amazing as it was, and that they were still tempted with this one small thing. You're right. Do you think that God had hoped that they wouldn't? Do I think that he had hoped? Hope that they wouldn't. Yeah. I I get a little bit uneasy when I start trying to think what God would have thought <laughs> or to speak for God, but I would say that I, I believe God expected them. Like He commanded them and He expected them to do it. I think it's it seems within God's character to me that He would hope, man, I really hope you guys don't do this. But at the same time, knowing, knowing it was going to come because God knew all things. It's, I don't know, it's, God's complicated for me. I think that's Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, we did. 
And before we're too hard on Adam and Eve, we can look at our own lives and see the choices we still make, the things that we still do. Yeah, Mary. Redemption to follow him. Yeah. See, I told you that God's word is relevant to us today. I mean, look at the conversation we're having, the way this still impacts our lives right now. Yeah, read. Absolutely. And I said to him, said, you watch, this company is in trouble. Yeah. It took three, four years to give you notice and say, but now it's been split up. Yeah. The Canadian division has been sold. Yeah. And now the American division has been sold. And it's amazing what the man who is controlled by this feeling of greed and pride. Yeah. Which, which he ran the company on what it did to the company. Yeah. Yeah, we see, like, the things that seem, maybe seemed good and pragmatic to him at the time and how destructive it was. Let's do this. Let's pray. And if you have more, I'm going to be here to pray with you and keep this conversation up with each other. We need to keep talking about what this means. But, but let's pray this morning. Father in heaven, Lord God, we praise you for your word. God, it is at the same time good and difficult to see how amazing your creation was in the beginning. And God, it is hard for us to hear the ways that our um, first mother and father destroyed it by their desire to be like you or to be wise and to be above you, to not trust you. And God, all of creation cracked. Our relationship with your creation, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with you. But God, we praise you. We praise you that that is not the end of the story. That you have sent your son, Jesus, that you are the Messiah, the king who has brought his kingdom. And God, you are already restoring and making things new. We praise you, Jesus, for your life, for your death and resurrection, and that you are ascended to God's right hand and you reign now. God, we praise you for this good news. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Closing hymn this morning needs no explanation or preamble, so let us stand together and proclaim God's faithfulness.
Great is 